You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, I Don't Need the Wicked Dead to Speak for Me, based on Luke 16, 19-31. This sermon was recorded on Sunday, April 17, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, as we go forward in our mission to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere here at Harvest, we are asking in 2016 and 2017 for God to grow the size of our church. Now, it's up to Him to do that, but I don't see that happening without Him growing me, and without Him growing you, without us growing deeper. So as a church, over the next two years, we really want to focus on improving our prayer lives. And as individuals, I mean, um, we want to focus on improving our evangelism as a church and as individuals, how we share the gospel. We want to see how we can improve on being and making disciples as a church and as individuals. And we want to uh, see how we can improve on total surrender or stewardship of all that we are and have as a church and as individuals. And I would love to say, in my life, in your life, in our church, in all those areas, we're doing so stellar that we don't have to do much. Just put a little icing on the cake. But that's really not so. There's so much more room to grow in my life, in your life, and as a church in all these areas. And we have to have the guts to say that, right? You have to have the guts to look in the mirror and say, God, grow me in my knowledge of you and in my prayer of you. Grow me in my ability to share you. Grow me in how to be and make disciples. Grow me in how to die to you every day. That's where we start. Right, Christians? So today, I'd like us to be thinking, beginning to think about uh, reaching out, evangelism. So our text is Luke Chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. Luke chapter 16. Um, and as you're turning there, I would like to quote from you, to, for, I'm going to read. <laughs> it's, right now it's easier than thinking of my own words, apparently. But not from the Bible, all right? If you know where this is from, you can shout it out. If you're first, you win something. I don't know what. But you have to get the right title. Some of you... Might not get the right title. At the Friday night service here in Catanning, someone shouted it out, but they had the wrong title. Doesn't count. No brownie points. Right. Marley was dead. Huh. I heard the right. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman. We don't have to do that anymore. The clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. They used to have that job. Could you imagine that job? You open the paper. If you're, if you're, are you really good at being sad when people die? We have a job for you. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good Upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to, old Marley was as dead as a doornail, as some have already figured out, 
These words begin the Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. The story is one of a successful visit of a dead man saving his friend from a, from a bad afterlife. You thought like The Walking Dead was a new idea. It wasn't quite a zombie, but this is a story of a dead man who comes back to scare his friend into having a better afterlife than he would have. Um, and Marley is not looking good when he shows up. Um, he, he shows up as a ghost, his jaws hanging out. If he takes a little thing off, it falls down, and he's horrible, and he makes horrible sounds, and he's scary. But mostly he's got this huge chain that, that's just so long, it hardly, you can't see it, it's so long. It's big, heavy chain links, and, and in it are rusty old keys and locks and little rusted iron money boxes, just, it's, and he's dragging it around. And uh, he goes see his friend Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer is such a good word. It means rock of remembrance. Ebenezer. There was a hymn that goes, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And people have been singing that for years and going, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> right? How many of you are in that camp? Be, be honest. Let's not lie, okay? You're in church. Tell the truth. That's a good word. Ebenezer Scrooge is looking at his dead friend. And he looks at the chain and he asks him what it is. And he goes, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it of my own free will. And of my own free will, I wore it. His, the point Dickens is making through this fictional story with Marley is that his fate in the afterlife, as bad as it was, was his own fault. He did it. He's the one. Link by link. I lived a life thinking of here and now, not of the afterlife, and I created the misery in which I now stand. And I want to warn you, my friend, don't join me. You had better do something quick, because you're on the same road. Now, our view of the afterlife should not come from Charles Dickens. Uh, however, in reading our text today, Luke 16, you can't help but think that Dickens' view of the afterlife came from a story Jesus told 1,800 years before he wrote a Christmas Carol. So let's look in our Bibles to Luke 16, 19 to 31. And I want you to know if you are not new to... I went to church with an, my aunt and uncle last week, and they're new to going to this kind of church. And um, they had a good time. Um, I taught them how to get the Bible on their smartphones right from the start. But I'll tell you, if you so it can be... You can feel uncomfortable... And say, I don't, I don't, people are opening their Bible, I don't know what to open. In every one of our campuses, you can get a free Bible. Free! On the way out, if you would like it, and then you can open it too. It's fine, made out of fine newsprint. You're going to read. Same powerful word, though, as in those expensive Bibles. So, Luke 16, 19 to 31, let's read. There was a rich man who, by the way, Jesus is talking. Now Jesus is telling the story. And by the way, this, this particular story, some people think is a parable, 
but um, most people don't. Normally when Jesus starts with a parable, he says something like, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, or the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells some kind of story about somebody throwing seeds on the ground and whatnot. But this one, he doesn't start like that. He, he, he just says there was. And he also uses a real name in it. So there's every reason to believe that Jesus is telling us a true story. Now, he, he, I think he enters in symbolic elements instead of explaining all the details. But that's normal conversation. That's the way people talk. So verse 19 There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. So here's your description of this man. Um, You know, we Americans have so much uh, food and so much clothing. Clothing's not hard to come by anywhere in the world really now. But there was a time when clothing was hard to come by. Uh, Someone actually had to weave something or kill something and sew it together. It wasn't easy to come along and get clothes to wear, so you took good care of your one or two shirts, your one or two pairs of pants, your one coat, because it's all you had. But this man, what we're seeing is really conspicuous consumption, just opulent wealth, because he's clothed in purple, which is, you know, it's a dye that had to come from far away. He can afford it. And he doesn't just do this for special occasions, right? Like, my favorite two places to buy clothes are, like all men should be, Sam's Club and Tractor Supply. Because <laughs> they have all the nice stuff in there. They got those plaid jackets with the gray hoodie. Pfft, look great in those. Every once in a while, my wife says, we're going to a serious place. (laughs) Your daughter's wedding, (laughs) something like that. I'd like you to go to a real store and buy a real shirt somewhere. And whenever I do, I got to give in. A a shirt that costs a little more actually fits. And sometimes, well, this guy, every single day, he dressed like that. And he feasted sumptuously every day. Not just talking about food in the first century. Feasting sumptuously is a big deal. But even today, I mean, we, in my house, we will have a prime rib roast. And if you're a meat eater, you know that's, that's living large on Christmas Day. I look forward to that on Christmas Day more than anything else that happens that day almost. Because it's the only day of the year. We do that. We spend money on that meat, and that's where money should be spent, right? Enough of this, you can waste all your Christmas money on lights for the lawn, which men, if you're a young man, let me give you some advice as an old man. All your neighbors will put it up. Their houses look nice. You can't see your own front yard anyway. Spend your money on the meat. But if you were to come to my house today, we don't have prime rib because it's, it's a big deal. He ate it every day. So you get the picture Jesus is saying of this man? And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. At his gate was laid a poor man. So you have the picture of a man so unhealthy that he physically can't lay himself somewhere. And, and there. He obviously had no means of support, no family to help him. So someone who cared about him said, let's lay him right in front of this guy's house. He's so rich, if any scrap falls to him, it's got to be good. 
He just lays him there. The poor man was named Lazarus. And he's covered with sores. Who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. What a picture. He's not just so You can be so sick you don't want to eat. And that's miserable. But this guy is not only so, I don't know what those sores felt like. The word sore means it doesn't feel good. But he's hungry. And he's watching Mr. Sumptuous. And no doubt Mr. Sumptuous in the purple linen has all his friends with him too. And he's longing for that food. But apparently he's not getting any. Instead, the dogs came and licked his sores. The dogs who probably did get the crumbs come. They're the only ones paying any attention to him. The rich man and his friends, he's not even there. The rich man's family, he's not even there. But the dogs, who like the smell of dying and dead things, smell his rotting flesh and lick his sores. It's a very pathetic situation for Lazarus, who lays there in hope. Verse 22, the poor man died, and he was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. Abraham's side is Jesus using figurative language uh, to speak of heaven. Abraham would be the father of all the Jews. Obviously, he'd be in heaven. And the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, we're uh, we're not going to get sidetracked on what happens to people after they die. Um, it's an important question. It would, we could spend a couple hours talking about it. It's always interesting. Feel free to talk about it in your community groups. And even you can raise questions and bring them back to pastors if you don't have answers and see what they know. But for now, let it be known that Jesus is using very efficient language to say one of them is in the happy place, one of them's in the sad place. And the one in hell called out, Father Abraham, he calls him father because he's a Jew. These are all Jews. So the Jewish heritage, rich Father Abraham, I'm rich. We don't know his name. I'm your son. (laughs) Help me. Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. By the way, he's not in torment because he's rich. There are many wealthy people in the Bible who have faith, Abraham included. Joanna and the other ladies who helped support Jesus's ministry when he was there. There's just wealth does not equal evil in the scripture. Likewise, Lazarus is not in heaven because of his poverty or his patheticness. You can be laying sick and in sores and have a wicked, faithless heart. There's only one way to please God. And only those who are pleasing to God can go to his side when they die. And that one way to please God has always been from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation by faith. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Faith. So one thing we can guess here is that Lazarus had faith. The rich man had no faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. 
In Galatians 3.11, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith brings us life. And so Lazarus has life because he had faith. The rich man, he does not. Jesus died as a substitute for sinners. Simple idea, the central idea of our lives, Christians. The central idea of our lives. Paul said, I determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. It doesn't mean that if you went to hear Paul at, a, at, your, at your Thessalonian seminar, Paul's in town for a conference. And he teaches five times over the next two days. He's not going to keep saying, Christ and Him crucified, Christ and Him crucified, Christ and Him crucified. That's not what he means. What he means is that's the center of everything. And everything comes out from that. God's love is comes and that he sent his son to substitute himself for you and me so he could die for our sins and we could live forever. And faith in the goodness of the God who does that, the greatness of the God who does that, is the only way to be saved. And that's why Lazarus is in one place and the rich man the other. So the man desired relief. Interesting how the, the, the fortunes have reversed. It wasn't that long ago that Lazarus was dying, desiring food. From Lazarus's table. Excuse me, reverse that. From the rich man's table. Now the rich man is desiring a drop of water from Lazarus's finger. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So the answer to his question, can he dip his hand in water and give me some, is no. No, he cannot. And and he points out reason one. When you were on the earth and you had everything, you didn't share. When you were on earth, you thought of the things of earth. You thought it all ends here. As long as I can get everything I need here, I'm good. And you didn't think of the God who made you. You didn't think of the afterlife. But even so, it's an impossibility at this point. It has been said by many, and I'll quote, I don't know whoever said it first, hell has no door. Hell has no door. Wherever you're sitting right now at Harvest, here, Indiana, Freeport, PVC, if the building caught on fire, God forbid, right now where you're sitting, you can see the red lighted exit sign. And you'd be wise to get out. In an orderly fashion. (laughs) And don't run to your kids. The teachers have been trained. They know what to do. Meet them outside, just in case. Otherwise, your kids will be safe and you'll get burned up. But you know how to get out. There's nowhere out for this man. He's in hell. Hell has no door. But not only can doors go two ways. There's no in either. Lazarus can't come in. Once you're there, that's it. So the man hearing this 
gives a second request from hell. Prayer request from hell. They're probably the best prayer requests there are. Because in hell, people apparently see things very clearly. Verse 27, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. Send him to my family. Oh, and you know his family was at his sumptuous table all the time. And no doubt, he was at theirs. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Whenever you see in the Bible, Moses and the prophets, that is, the word we would use would be Bible. right? Moses and the prophets. The, you will hear the law and the prophets. Or sometimes you'll just hear in the law or in Moses. All these terms mean Bible. Because Moses wrote the law, then they tell you the whole rest of the Old Testament. They call it the prophets. These are the very words of God, Old Testament. Jesus would speak. His apostles would bring us what we call the New Testament. Altogether, it's the Bible. So what Abraham is saying is, no, I'm not going to send Lazarus because your brothers and your father have the Bible. And and, and, and apparently he, he knows his brothers. He knows they're in danger of joining him. Which is an amazing admission because they're all Jews. And you can't be and sustain being a good Jew very easily without going to their equivalent of church. <laughs> it's hard. You, you could be a tax collector, Perhaps. But even then, you'll go through the motions. You go to yeshiva school. You memorize. They all could say, Baruch Adonai, and all that stuff. They all could say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one, in Hebrew. They all went to the festivals. And they were wealthy, obviously blessed by God. But he knows his brothers. He knows his brothers. I know my brothers. They're just like me. Uh, Funerals are never... Happy, but always important. Funerals are very important. I know some of us think, and I understand this in a very practical manner, when I die, I don't want nothing. (laughs) I don't care what they do with my body. I'm dead anyway. Just chunk me in a hole and all this stuff. But listen, human beings are not animals and we're not plants. We are. We have souls and we're made in the very image of God. And even the worst of humans, when they die, deserves dignity for that reason alone. So funerals are very important. And normally we only go for the people we know or love or care about. But if you're a pastor, you have to go to lots of funerals, even if you don't know the person very well. And so I've been to a lot of funerals, and I'll often hear often here, just about every funeral I hear, somebody will say, if so-and-so were here, she'd say, and then they'd say what she'd say. If so-and-so were here, he'd say, and then they'd say what they'd say. And they know their loved one, and they know what sort of reactions that person would have, and they would be correct except this. Their loved one, over the last two, three, four, or five days, has had an education that you can't buy on this earth. So they will 
probably not say what you think they'd say. They would say that if they weren't dead. But they are dead. They have a change of worldview. This guy is not going to sit around worrying about, hey, that's what you dressed me in in my coffin? I can't believe you people are making such a fuss. He's not going to say, party on, dudes. He's going to be like Marley. And in this case, Marley was fiction. This is true. His message, if he talked at his funeral, was, brothers, do not come here where I am. You do not want to do this. Whatever it takes, change the course you are on because moment one here, you will realize all you had is worthless. Don't come here. He'd say something like that. So he's like, I can't get out of here. Send La- he's still ordering Lazarus around. <laughs> send him to bring me water. Send him. He's not the poor guy at the gate with the sores. And this is, should be encouraging to you Christians. Life can be hard. At times it can be great. And we're thankful for that. But it can be very difficult also. And if you're going for a, through a very difficult time right now in your life, for those uh, probably minority of people in the room, but you matter to Jesus. He sees you. I, want, I don't know what his plan always is, but I do know this. Ultimately, you'll have the same reversal of fortune and you will not hurt again. So hang in there. But Abraham says, no, they have the Bible. They have the words of God. Let them listen to that. Could you imagine the guy in hell? He's probably thinking, what? They've heard the word of God. (laughs) They go to church. They go to to temple. They go to synagogue. They show up. They've memorized a lot of it. A book? The book is not convincing them. Trust me, I know these guys. Abraham Would it not be more effective if a dead man came from heaven and told him what he saw? If it was 2016, you'd make an awful lot of money and even get a movie deal. But But life is in the word. Life is in the word. Psalm 119, David says, give me life. What a great prayer. Give me life according to your word. David knows, say the word, I have life. The God who created the universe with words, say it, and I have life. Jesus said in John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death into life. God's words have life. To hear his word and believe is how hell is avoided then and now. The word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is like a hammer that can crush a rock. It is like rain that falls down from heaven and accomplishes amazing things that go back up to heaven. It is a consuming fire. It is that by which God said to bones in front of Ezekiel, get up, be covered with 
muscles and flesh, and they did it. It is with that voice that he put the stars in the sky. The people in this story are all Jews. People of the book. That's it, just a book. That's enough. In fact, it's the only way. Let them believe it. Now, the man in hell is thinking, I know my brothers. They've read the book. They've heard the book. They recite the book. It doesn't work. He says, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if someone goes from the dead, I mean, that's a pretty freaky sight, right? They'll repent. And, and, and he doesn't have to come from hell. He doesn't have to be a zombie walking dead. Send a dude from heaven all glowy and stuff. Let him tell him what he saw. Tell him where he saw me. He could testify. He could tell him the truth. But Abraham said to, that, to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, and that phrase means the Bible, if they don't hear the Bible, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. As in a parenthesis, Christian, every so many years, someone comes up with a new proof of the Bible. Back in the 90s, it was the Bible code. You put the Bible into a computer, and, and it'll tell you when Kennedy gets shot. Something like that. Proof. You know, we got these people who say, I went to heaven for a few minutes by my book, The Shroud of Turin. Listen, all that, those are just baubles. Those are just costume jewelry. They don't matter. And none of them will bring anyone to eternal life, and none of them matter. None of them. There's someone out there going, I was just going to take an expedition to Turin and do this tourist thing. Save your money. You see, people who refuse God don't do it for lack of evidence. That's not why people refuse God. I love apologetics. When I was a new Christian, I really loved it. Apologetics means the arguments for the faith. And apologetics is important. Because we're reasonable people living in a real world and the truth should be true and it should stand the tests and the tax and it's important to defend the truth and so that people who believe can be strengthened and you can be strengthened but no one will ever get saved through apologetics, ever. Because you can tear down everyone's argument and when you're done, they'll use the magic J word, not Jesus, but just. And it wipes it all away and they'll say, yeah, well, I just don't believe it. I'm like, okay, well, I read way too much Josh McDowell to have you say, I just don't believe it. No, people get saved because God attends his word. There's more going on in the transaction when a word comes. There's the invisible God. The Holy Spirit of the living God is attending his word. He is saying to the person, this is true, receive it. You who are Christians... What should be most of you in the room? You know this. If you think back to when you gave your life to Christ, you know you felt there was something going on besides the message you heard, correct? Something was talking to you. Something was laying truth bare that you'd never seen, even though it was right in front of you. Something was saying to you, believe this. And at some point you said, what am I doing? I I surrender. So when a person does not 
believe. It's not for lack of evidence. It's, it's just stubborn. You know what it is when we don't believe as humans? It's a very simple thing. I will not be ruled. It is us saying to God, you're not going to be the boss of me. Ah, you may substitute someone else. I don't care what those stupid church people say. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what you say. I don't care. But really, you're saying to God, I am captain of my own life, and you're not ruling me. And that's why. I, it's funny. Um, I have a cousin whom I love very much, and uh, maybe she'll see this. I don't know. But she, when I was first a Christian, I was a young adult, a couple years out of high school, and, and she, um, she, uh, she told me she was an atheist. I'm like, you're an atheist? Yeah. But then she told me this story. We worked together, um, and uh, we'd often be up late at night working. We worked all night. And uh, she, she said, when I was in Catholic school as a kid, I was in this, in this uh, church, and there's a big crucifix. Now, if, you're not, if you have no Catholic background understanding, the word crucifix is not the same as cross. It's, uh, the Catholics often have artwork that have Jesus' body still on the cross. That's what a crucifix is. So, so they had this huge, huge crucifix in San Diego somewhere. And, and, and so she said, and I was praying, and the head of Jesus lifted and looked at me. I'm like, really? Yes. You believe that happened? Yes. But you don't believe in God? No. Okay, you're lost. I mean, you see, that's the way it is. You can sit there and have people, you say, you need to believe in Jesus. And they're like mumbling something about evolution and it's not true in many ways. Okay, so I don't believe that Jesus is son of God, blah, 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 blah. Then you say, well, have you ever seen a ghost? And they're like, oh, yeah, let me tell you, I saw ghosts. They believe crazy things. If people aren't receiving the word they hear, it's not for lack of evidence. This man, if Lazarus came back from the grave, all shiny from heaven, it might convince them about life after death, but it will not convince them of their need to repent and be saved. That's why we don't need books that say, I saw grandpappy in heaven. I don't believe them anyway, frankly. But you don't need them. They're not going to convince anybody. Now, if in that book somewhere is the good news of Jesus Christ dying for sins, that might work. So what should we do? What should we learn from this story? Two lessons here. I'm sure, by the way, Christians who love the Word of God, and many of you are here, I know you're already, I'm already thinking application. I know. I'm just going to give you a couple. One, I think there's a negative lesson here. Many people know the truth and do not believe and will go to a very real hell. That's the negative lesson. People then in our modern age say, and as they have in all modern ages from the first century on, hell? Do you really believe in hell? Yes, I do. I don't need to be able to understand everything to believe it, but I do know we are made in the image of God. We are not mere animals. And we have eternal souls that must exist Somewhere. And I also know that God's holiness is holy, holy, holy. And when you have angels in heaven in these visions in the Bible that are so amazing and perfect and holy, they can't think of anything to say when flying around God's throne except holy, 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 that there's a goodness, a sinlessness, a righteousness that is so great about God that human words cannot even express it. I can't certainly not express it, that God will not commune with anyone who has any sin. 
any evil. None. Forever. Because he's that holy. So if you're made in the image of God with an eternal soul, and you cannot exist with God where all goodness is, then there must be hell, as the Bible teaches. At this point, someone might say, well, wait a minute, we all have evil. We've all blown it. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong things. How does anyone then commune with God? I thought I just had to have more good things than bad things. You're saying any bad things I don't, I can't be with God. That's correct. The answer is back to the center. Jesus died to save sinners. Here we are again. I can do my best to live as a great Christian man, which, (laughs) that's funny. I could just, I could pray all the time. I could love my wife like no one's loved her wife. I could witness to every person I saw and try my best to be the perfect pastor. And if I pulled it off, at the moment of my death, I would have no other hope except that Christ dies for sinners like me. And that's good news. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But there was the blood of the Christ, the only perfect one shed for me and for you. John says in John's gospel, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Faith. And whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's our regular state of sinfulness. Don't believe you're going to hell. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is no punishment if the sin is taken away. There is punishment if the sin is not taken away, period. Second lesson for me here that I'd like to share with you is we have the ability to do what the dead man in hell could not get done. I don't think Jesus told us this story so we could sit around thinking about, man, it must really stink to be a dead man in hell. I think he had a practical point. We can warn sinners. We can warn our brothers. We can warn our sisters. We can warn other people's sisters to avoid hell. Listen, many have heard the Bible, the words of the Bible, the words of the gospel, and have believed and have been saved. And many will believe who have not yet believed. I was just listening to a a fellow pastor's sermon this morning. He was talking about all the chaos in the world and the chaos here and the chaos there. And he's right. The world's in chaos. But you know what? Christian, get your mind off the chaos. You want some help? By the way, I haven't listened to any political radio or watched any Fox News for three months. What's it do for your worldview? I'd recommend it. You're going to vote the same way you vote anyway. Why waste your time stewing on all that's going wrong Here's what's going right. Jesus Christ is in charge of everything. You know, when we sing that song and, the, and the, the clouds roll back like a scroll, it's not a foreigner coming to earth. It's God, Jesus Christ coming to his rightful place and making it right. Between now and then, he's saving souls. And that's more important than any nation's economy. One soul. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10, will be saved. What a promise. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? We know it's by faith. Well, how will they believe in him 
if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The logic is simple. Many would believe if they hear, but someone must preach. It's a very ironic moment in our lives right now because we find we are in complete agreement with a man burning in hell. Well, my friend were here, he'd say, let's just have a party. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He actually is going to see this more clearly than most preachers. Don't come here. Someone must preach. If people hurt, I guarantee you, in the town you live in, right now, if, if someone preached the gospel in a way they could understand to every person in the town you lived in, many would be saved today. Their eternal souls set free from hell. It'll work. God saves. What's stopping them? Jesus told the problem. I got the harvest is ready. I can't get enough workers. Question, should we, should I not have more urgency or at least the same urgency as a man in hell? Am I going to let people in hell have more urgency than me about preaching the good news? Look, I tell you, Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Right now, it's ready. Right now, if you go out into the fields around here, there's not anything to harvest. In most of them, nothing is even planted. If you go to your garden to harvest tomatoes, they're not there, but I'll tell you what, in August, if you don't have a plan, they're going to rot on the vine because they're going to be there. Here's Jesus saying back in 30 AD, look out at these people. It's time. Go get them. Well, if it was true then, it's true now. Look, I know that you sharing the gospel is very intimidating to you. I know. I know it's scary. I know. And and, and for good reason. Whenever you think, I need to tell this person about Jesus, And that fear comes up. It's because your flesh is waging war with your spirit. Because your old nature wants nothing to do with this. And the stakes could not be higher. Every human soul is standing between heaven and hell forever. And the message you want to bring is the factor that will send some to hell with their rejection and some to heaven. Yeah, it's a nervous moment. When I was going to see my grandfather when he was dying, I'd witnessed to him many times. I thought, I've got to get him one more time. So I left South Carolina, went to Texas where he was dying at. And, but on the way, a friend of mine said, let me give you some advice on how to talk to your grandfather. I said, go ahead. He said, there's no way to be bold than to be bold. And I thought, do you have any better advice than that? I mean, <laughs> he goes, no, 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 I mean it. You try to slip in your talks about Jesus, it's really hard to do. It's like wading into a water that's too cold. It's not easy. But if you just step off the high dive, first step, you're in. There's nothing you can do about it. And I was bold. And I think it went well. You have the message that rescues from hell. You do not need the wicked dead to send you. And, and, but I want to give you some practical. I'm going to end with three practical. How, how? I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Three very simple ways that you can... 
bring eternal life to another human being. Oh, oh, by the way, this isn't one of them. You should always be praying, God, give me opportunities. Because otherwise, you're not on the lookout. Here are the three. One, tell your own story to everyone and anyone. Tell them how you came to believe in Jesus. Do not think, well, I've got to wait till I can answer all their questions. No, you don't. Because answering their questions won't get them saved. The power is in the cross. Preach the cross. And you have a story. And no one can tell you your story is illegitimate because it's your story. And you met Christ. No one can say, well, that's it. That's it. And God will attend. He will be there. Second, invite everyone you know to come to church with you. Church is for believers. We gather together for believers to worship. But we work very hard to make what we do together coherent to the lost. And I remember I got saved over several months. I wasn't one of those instant. Took me a while. But I remember during that kind of season in my life, I was so attracted to what Christians said and did. I wanted more. I wanted to go to their gatherings. I wanted to see. Something was pulling me. So just bring them to church and don't worry about what happens there. If God's pulling them, his spirit is on his people. Just bring them. Third, and often overlooked and perhaps the best way to help someone believe is sit down with a friend or a stranger if you can. Open the Bible to John chapter 3 or somewhere else you like, but that'll do, and read it together and talk about what's there. When I was in the uh, ninth grade, there was this kid who was a really bad kid. He used to like to beat us up, do drugs, and just be mean. And he got radically saved. And he, for the rest of the school year, always carried two Bibles with him. And if you want to know why, I do is just walk up to him and start talking to him. He would put one in your hand and say, let's read. A seed planted in my life. The word of God speaks for itself. And you might say, well, they won't do it. You would be shocked. Just try it. You would be shocked at how many people, if you said, hey, why don't we just, I'll come over to your house. Let's just read. I just want to read the Bible with you a little bit. They're curious. They'll do it. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.